Gary Lineker will be back on Match of the Day this weekend and all is right with the world again. Sort of. Well, it's a bit early, I suppose, for the tennis season, but it is game, set and match to Gary Lineker. What an extraordinary few days. Gary Lineker will be returning to his sport-presenting duties here at the BBC with, as you say, an apology being made, not from him to the BBC, but instead from the BBC, the corporation, to the presenter himself. For the last six days, a tweet he published criticising the government's controversial asylum plan has slowly overshadowed the policy itself. But how did a tweet where he likened British government immigration policy to 1930s Germany blow up into such a frenzy? One tweet about the government's small boats policy has put the BBC and its director general on the stormiest of seas. The BBC has historically been considered a paragon of public service broadcasting. But what does this scandal tell us about the cosy relationship between its top executives and the Conservatives who've been in power for 13 years? When Gary Lineker tweeted what he tweeted, um, Tory MPs jumped in to accuse him of bias and to say this was a disgrace and BBC, uh, you know, should be impartial. The leadership of BBC, sensitive to that, um, and some of them with close Tory connections themselves, um, moved very hard and very fast to take Gary Lineker off air and, and you know, walked in without a game plan. I'm Aideen Finnegan and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, Lineker versus the BBC. Why this controversy will go to extra time. Mark Paul, London correspondent with the Irish Times, could you please give us the backstory to this controversy? What was Gary Lineker reacting to in his tweet? Well, what Gary Lineker was reacting to was the publication by the British government of the Illegal Immigration Bill. And this is the proposed set of laws that they brought forward um, to tackle one of their top five priorities, which is effectively uh, uh, to stop the boats. I mean, that's the, the colloquial phrase over here that everybody uses. And this is used to describe um, the, the sort of the, the movement of migrants from France over to the, the southeastern coast of England on small boats, inflatable dinghies and so on, crossing the channel. And these are um, um, illegal migrants and, and, and it's a big political issue over here. It's a very big issue actually up in the north of England, um, um, up in those old red wall labour seats that the Tories won in 2019. Um, and so, so, so Rishi Sunak has really staked his credibility as a prime minister on stopping um, this flow of, of migrants coming over. So um, Suella Braverman, the, uh, the Home Secretary, and, and Rishi Sunak have devised this proposed set of laws, the illegal immigration bill. And what that law will do is uh, any migrant that arrives over illegally, um, they'll get a lifetime ban from Britain and they will never be allowed to apply for asylum in Britain and they will be deported. We will pass new laws to stop small boats, making sure that if you come to this country illegally, you are detained and swiftly removed. Um, and uh, uh, Gary Lineker, I think, has expressed concern at various stages in the last number of years about aspects of conservative uh, policy and, and government policy. Um, and he seems to think uh, that this is a cruel and inhumane policy. Um, and he used language then in his tweet um, and to compare the, 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 you know, the language used by the government um, um, to how people spoke in 1930s Germany, of course, when the Nazis were on the rise, um, so, which is quite an inflammatory thing for him to tweet. But that's the backdrop to it all. Um, you know, it all comes back to Brexit, really. Um, you know, the, the British government, the, the Conservatives and, and, and the pro-Brexit side promised to retake control of Britain's borders. Uh, and they feel they have to deliver it now because if they don't, it could lead to electoral annihilation for them. For a government not to respond to waves of illegal migrants breaching our borders would be to betray the will of the, the people we were elected to serve. 
And Mark, are the figures of people arriving by small boats, are they large figures? I mean, I know it's kind of hard to gauge because you only know who manages to or who ends up being caught, I suppose. I'm just wondering whether the whole stop the boats thing is pandering to populism or whether it could actually have an effect. Well, look, there's absolutely no doubt that the numbers uh, arriving on small boats um, from France have, uh, have have increased sharply in the last four or five years. I mean, there was about 45,000 last year arrived. In, in the year or two after Brexit, the, the numbers arriving on small boats from France were only in the hundreds at that stage. And migrants used to arrive in different methods, in the back of trucks and so on. But the small boats thing has really, there's really been a huge spike in that in the last couple of years. I mean, they're expecting without intervention, um, you know, maybe more than 70,000 might arrive this year. But overall, Britain still takes far less migrants each year um, than, than other large European countries, such as Germany and such as France. I've noticed a lot of derision online when people liken the current political discourse around the culture wars to, to language used in 1930s Germany. But was Gary Lineker sort of correct in saying that? I wouldn't have tweeted what Gary Lineker tweeted, I have to say, principally because Suella Bradman's husband is Jewish. Um, I think if you're going to use um, comparisons with Nazis and, and, and so on, um, or, or anything that hints at that, you've really got to be on firm ground. Um, and it's a you know it, you know a lot of people w- w- would argue that it's 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 quite an easy and an intellectually lazy thing to do. Um, um, is he correct that 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 this is a type of language that was used in Germany? I mean, look, it's not pleasant. I think to hear Suella Bradman talk about an invasion, especially when there's no real evidence that there's an invasion. But was Garlinger correct in what he was saying? If 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 you ask me to sort of come down on one side or the other, I'd say no. I don't think he's correct in what he's saying. But I do think he was correct to raise concerns about the bill and um, because you know this is a pretty far-reaching piece of legislation this is a, this is a serious legal move by Britain and as much as the Tory party tries to play it down to say that this is relatively normal in the European context it's not all that normal to immediately deport people um, and you wouldn't be allowed to do something like this in the European Union so look I don't think Gary Lenker was correct but he's tapped into a certain mode of thinking and um, that the government has been a little bit cruel here and what does Labour and the opposition say? Yeah, you see, this is a difficult thing for the Labour Party. I mean, look, Labour obviously uh, opposes the bill and it says that the bill is, is you know, is, it's, it's not right that it's cruel and so on. But Labour has to tiptoe around the wider issue of, um, uh, of immigration because it's a really, as I mentioned before, it's a really big issue in the red wall seats. These are the seats in the north of England that would normally be Labour seats, traditionally always were. But under Boris Johnson, the Tories won them back, uh, these working class areas. And if Labour is seen to be too soft on immigration, it won't win back these red wall seats. Um, or it certainly won't win back enough of them, or perhaps not enough of them, um, to take a, a, a majority at the next election. They're being very, very careful and cautious about it. Keir Starmer has been cautious about it. Mr Speaker, nobody on this side of the House wants open borders. On that side, they've lost control of the borders. He's promised the country, he's promised the country that this bill will stop all small boat crossings. No ifs, no buts. Sounds like more talk. So in the interest of adequate action, when will he achieve that? 
But, you know, amongst individual Labour MPs, when you talk about them, they're very opposed. I was at a Labour Irish Society um, gathering in Westminster last night. Um, and, 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 and you know, as the, the, the illegal immigration bill was going through its second reading in the House of Commons a, f- a few yards away, um, and, and any Labour MPs that walked in, I mean, they were very, very angry about it. Outside uh, in, in Westminster Square, Parliament Square in Westminster, um, you could hear coming through the noise of people shouting on loudspeakers in opposition to the bill. So on that left-wing side of, of politics, there's a lot of opposition to it. But as I said, look, just politically, it's tricky ground for Labour. And so why did Gary Lineker's tweet annoy BBC bosses so much? Like, is there a suggestion, a sort of a his grace was displeased to use an old Irish catchphrase and the British government let it be known they wanted Lineker sanctioned in some way? Uh, well, look, that's the suspicion. Um, I mean, I mean, certainly people with Conservative Party sympathies have have, have been known to have intervened before um, in, in the last couple of years about stuff that they that they thought the government was displeased about. You know, the BBC is a little bit of a political football um, in, in, in Britain and, and the Conservatives really like to kick it around. The, the chairman of the BBC, Richard Sharp, is a Tory party donor um, and who at the moment is under investigation for whether, you know, for whether he properly declared the fact that he helped Boris Johnson get an 800 grand loan at around about the same time that he was appointed to be BBC chair, the BBC director general, the guy who took who originally took Gary Lineker off air, Tim Davy, and he's a former Conservative Party candidate, a former communications director for Number Ten, Robbie Gibb. He's uh, he sits on the board of BBC. So the BBC, I, I think, has become very very sensitive to accusations, relentless accusations from the Conservative Party that its journalists are you know pinko liberals, remainers, and um, um, anti-government, and so it tends these days. Perhaps you could say to overreact to that sort of criticism. And I think that's the backdrop to what happened with Gary Lineker. And when Gary Lineker tweeted what he tweeted, um, Tory MPs jumped in to accuse him of bias and to say this was a disgrace and BBC, uh, you know, should be impartial. And maybe the leadership of BBC, sensitive to that, um, and some of them with close Tory connections themselves, um, moved very hard and very fast to take Gary Lineker off air and, and you know, walked in without a game plan. Yeah, I, th- I think... The, the phrase they use in PR is the optics don't look good there. And you were also writing, you know, you were talking about this kind of curious relationship with Conservative Power in the Irish Times yesterday. And you wrote about Emily Maitlis, who was the journalist who conducted the infamous Prince Andrew interview. And she left the BBC after she was given a slap on the wrists over criticising the government on the Partygate scandal. So what other examples are there that seem to suggest a bit of an overreach? Look, the Emily Maples one that you mentioned is actually a great example. What, what she actually criticised um, the government over it was over Dominic Cummings. Do you remember Dominic Cummings, who was who was Boris Johnson's kind of Svengali, yes. you know, a real kind of a hard jaw political operator type? And and he, in the middle of lockdown, the first lockdown, the first wave of the pandemic, he drove up to to, to Durham to see his family, and then he drove to Bernard Castle. He said to test his eyesight. You know, he was uh, <laughs> he was he was he was uh, you know, this is in the middle of lockdown. Clearly broke the rules. You know, although he you know he, he kind of he said that he didn't know he was breaking rules and so on. And Emily Maitlis did a piece, uh, a segment for the BBC on that and and, uh, and the government went mad about it. So look, there is political interference in the BBC. Now, Emily Maitlis's point in, in a lecture that she gave in Scotland after she left the BBC, it was a lecture she gave last year, the MacTaggart lecture. And she says that, look, you know, the, the fact that after she said what she said about Dominic Cummings and the government complained, she goes, that's pretty normal. Um, she says, you know, under the Blair governments, under Cameron, under Brown, Gordon Brown governments, you know, they would all complain to the BBC. She goes, what was different this time was the speed at which BBC moved to keep the government happy. Within hours, a very public apology was made 
the programme was accused of a failure of impartiality. The recording disappeared from the iPlayer and there were paparazzi outside my front door. And, and she was kind of wrapped on the knuckles for it. And, and not long afterwards, she left the BBC. She chose to leave, of course, the BBC to do a podcast with other former BBC presenters. So look, you know, the BBC is, is under um, serious strain. I mean, the government has used the prospect of freezing the licence fee and so on to put pressure on it in the past. And uh, it's in a highly politicised environment. It's become another um, weapon in the culture wars. And it's not good for for one of the biggest you know, institutions in, in British life. Coming up, is impartiality even possible in an age of social media? Laura Slattery, media columnist with the Irish Times. This whole debacle, we'll call it, it's very much in the context of the fevered political climate of Great Britain at the moment and people who believe the BBC has diverged from its public service remit to become a mouthpiece for the government. Maybe this whole thing adds credence to their theory. But you're writing in today's Irish Times that we can't discount another explanation for the PR disaster, that maybe the BBC bosses are just idiots. What were the errors? Well, I just think Tim Davey, the BBC Director General, clearly didn't um, anticipate the what was dubbed the I am Sporticus uh, reaction by um, <laughs> Gary Lineker's colleagues at BBC Sport, uh, starting with Ian Wright and Alan Shearer, then Alex Scott, and then really across BBC television and radio programmes, they were all walking out, in effect, in sympathy uh, with uh, Gary Lineker's position and the feeling that he'd been picked on. So that was one error that Tim Davey made. The other error I think he made was issuing this kind of ultimatum to Gary Lineker in the first place. Gary Lineker was never going to row back on those tweets because he believes those tweets right through to his bones. You know, they they reflect his ethics, his principles, his moral position, his opposition to Suella Braverman's illegal migration bill. He wasn't just going to suddenly turn around and say, oh no, I shouldn't have said that because what he wants is more people saying this. I mean, in a way he's tweeting because, you know, in effect, there is very little political opposition in Westminster to the bill. So he's taking the compassionate stance and for Tim Davey, um, to sort of try and force him to abandon that was really, really misguided, I think. We have to listen. I think we, think we have to do a bit of thinking about the balance between, you know, how you are delivering impartiality and also the ability for people to, particularly freelancers, to say things online. And we're in a new age. That's the, the other issue that Tim Davey has is that he has a zero tolerance approach to impartiality. And I'm I'm not sure if that's going. He's going to be able to follow that through to its logical conclusion. It's just just not unworkable. Well, let's talk about the impartiality. So that was the defence that BBC bosses used for the action they took against Gary Lineker. So impartiality. You know, what were the arguments for and against that in the context of Gary Lineker's tweet? Well, the first issue was whether or not you know the BBC's impartiality guidelines should even 
apply to Gary Lineker. And I think, you know, most reasonable people would think that actually as the presenter of Match of the Day, as the sort of presenter of all of the BBC's flagship sport programmes, you know, Sports Personality of the Year, their major tournaments in, in football, that Gary Lineker, while he is a face of the BBC, his role is football. And it doesn't, you know, he doesn't report day to day on news and current affairs. So I think people would think he should be allowed to say what he wants on social media and he should be even allowed to be allowed to have political affiliations. You know, people have been quoting from the impartiality guidelines and the the conflict of interest guidelines on on, uh, personal expressions of opinion where it seems to indicate that, yes, it is a lower risk where a sports presenter gives a view. Um, But Tim Davey, shortly after he became Director General of the BBC, he you know said that impartiality was going to be the founding principle of his tenure, and he tightened the social media guidelines, which added this clause that said that some people have additional responsibility to the BBC, and this was known as the Lineker clause. Um, and this was when? This was in 2020. Wow, what a um, harbinger of what was yeah. to come! <laughs> and because before that, Gary Lineker had made many such uh, political statements, and of course, he wasn't the only one. Gary Lineker has made lots of comments before. You allowed him to criticise the Qatari government on the BBC. Why was this different? Is it because he attacked the UK government? No, absolutely not. This is nothing to do with um, anything to do with the the specifics of the where a tweet is. But it's about party getting involved in party political matters. Now, what I would say is, you know, as people have been sharing on social media, responses to complaints made to the BBC about other perceived uh, lapses in impartiality by other presenters were, were given the response by the complaint seniors that these people are freelance presenters and they don't work in news and current affairs. Therefore, you know, they're allowed to have this opinion and they're allowed to do this and do that. Um, but suddenly there's been a change and that's, uh, you know, Tim Davey has, has said he's sort of the impartiality cop. I think it's absolutely ridiculous and just counterproductive to try and extend it to your sports presenters, to your entertainment presenters, to, you know, where does that, where does that end? Um, one example that Alistair Campbell has been merrily giving on every, um, every uh, broadcast in the last uh, few days, which has been many, is the actor uh, Martin Compton, who's one of the lead actors in Line of Duty. And Martin Compton is a high profile supporter of Scottish independence. So, you know, is he not allowed to have that position? You know, do, do, <laughs> do the makers of Line of Duty have to cast somebody else who actually thinks Scotland should stay part of the union? Like it, it gets to kind of ridiculous levels. Like where do you draw the line? You could find impartiality breaches every day of the week if, if you wanted to. You could Yeah, because it's in the eye of the beholder a lot of yes. the time. It's not clear. It's always going to be a little bit subjective. It was a very muddled statement from the BBC on Friday where they said, we've never said that Gary should be in an opinion-free zone. He's allowed to talk about things that matter to him, but but not 
about things that are controversial or partially political. And just with, that line is just so blurred. And in a way, the lines are always going to be blurred on this. And there is always going to be grey areas. And and everything is political. Yeah. I mean, if, if they, they will, they obviously are going to sit down with Gary Lineker and try and hash out some sort of compromise behind the scenes a bit, you know, you know, after they do this sort of independent review of the social media guidelines that they've promised. But, you know, I don't see Gary Lineker fundamentally agreeing to sort of, you know, silence himself because... Why would he want to do that? Uh, okay, he's well paid, 1.35 million um, by the BBC. It's a great job that he loves, that he's very good at, as Tim Davey kept saying as well, in the sort of trying to placate him. But he, he can walk away from it. You know, other broadcasters would pay him more. He's got his own um, production company, um, Goalhanger, um, which uh, makes documentaries and is a very successful podcast producer. So, you know, Gary Lineker has other things that he can do. He doesn't He doesn't have to um, stick with the BBC. I'm, I'm sure he loves it. He seems to, to want to stay. But if they make life too difficult for him, he's, he, is, he is going to walk away. It will be a point of principle. And the BBC will find it hard to hire people in the future. So is it achievable nowadays to even have impartiality in an age of social media where you're just firing off your thoughts? Impartiality is an ideal. It should be there. I believe it should be there for news and current affairs. But I also don't think that you can police it and sort of sort of say, aha, you know, every two seconds when something is, is maybe strikes you as straying away from pure fact. I mean, I myself think that we are living in, in a polarised political world and I don't think a crackdown on freedom of expression is, is going to help anyone. For example, I think the argument against the BBC that is one of the arguments against them is that they haven't been consistent in applying this um, because, you know, that they've picked on Gary Lineker. And, you know, there's examples like Alan Sugar, the presenter of The Apprentice, um, tweeting, and this was before the social media guidelines were tightened, but certainly tweeting, you know, very clearly that he's going to support Boris Johnson in the election before he was re-elected as prime minister. And before that, tweeting vociferously against Jeremy Corbyn. But, I mean, I personally don't think that should invalidate him from presenting the Apprentice. I mean, there's lots of things about Alan Sugar that aren't very <laughs> sort of palatable, but I don't think it really interferes with his role as, you know, presiding over this television show. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, there, there is obviously maybe a line where somebody becomes extremely, extremely offensive on a regular basis. And, you know, people lose their jobs for that reason. Um, but we don't need to sort of have this kind of uh, 100% laser focus on impartiality, that's just going to actually just make the job impossible. Gary Lineker uh, tweeting his response after he was told he'll be back on Match of the Day this weekend. He's, he said, a final thought. And so I guess this could be our final thought today as well, Laura. He said, however difficult the last few days have been, it simply doesn't compare to having to flee your home from persecution or war to seek refuge in a land far away. It's heartwarming to have seen the empathy towards their plight from so many of you. I think that... I, I cannot suppress the urge to make a pun here. In this match of the day, Gary Lineker won BBC nil. Would you agree? I would completely agree. And I saw somebody yesterday putting the score as Gary Lineker 5, <laughs> <laughs> BBC nil. Look, 
I think it was a bad tackle was the one I, I went very with. Very good. A very bad tackle. And they should never have shown him the red card. <laughs> <laughs> Laura Slattery, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And Mark, you know, this is obviously a British story, but people here love Gary Lineker and they love Match of the Day. And it appears that that order has been restored there. But is this story over? Um, I don't think, that, well, certainly the story of the illegal immigration bill isn't over. I mean, it went through its second reading in the House of Commons on Monday night. There wasn't a rebellion in the House of Commons um, yet over it. I think a lot of MPs abstained. But before Prime Minister Theresa May, um, she excoriated it in a speech um, on Monday night in Parliament. And there may be some opposition to it as it comes up for its third reading. And certainly in the House of Lords, there'll be a lot of amendments there. So look, the government will, will face a battle to get it through intact. They'll have the votes to get it through eventually. But it might be slightly changed or adjusted. There might be amendments to it. In the BBC, is the story over? I don't think so. Look, Gary Lineker will be back on air. Um, but the, the the issue of of the BBC, of, of political interference in the BBC, which I actually think is a much, much bigger issue than any notion of journalistic impartiality, political interference and, and the independence of the BBC, I think the story might only be just beginning on that. You know, the BBC always fares better under a Labour government than under a Conservative government. That's just sort of real politic over here. If Labour gets in in the next election, which is during the next two years, maybe things will calm down for the BBC. Um, but at the moment, the pressure is on the chairman, Richard Sharp, to see what the, the, the official results of this investigation are about about whether or not he properly declared his help for Boris Johnson You know, in that time that he was made BBC chairman. Um, and if he has to step down, and you know, there's a lot of people think that he might have to step down, that'll precipitate another crisis and, and this story will blow up again. Mark Paul, thank you very much for joining us. No problem. That's it for today. For full access to Irish Times journalism, including Mark and Laura's analysis, go to irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan and me, Aideen Finnegan. In the News will be back on Friday.